Good morning. Welcome to New Hope. Please turn with me, if you would, to the book of James, chapter 5. We're finishing our study preaching series, teaching series in the book of James today. Ten weeks we've been in this. This is the 11th week. But uh, for the past ten weeks, we have talked about being not just a servant, but a slave to Christ Jesus. We've talked about counting even our trials and our temptations as joy that produces patience. We've talked about the Word taking root in us and making a difference. We've talked about the dangers of assuming who God's favorites are. We've talked about responding appropriately to God's grace. We've talked about using words that will build each other up. We've talked about the journey of peace, of pure, peaceable, gentle wisdom. We've talked about the essential practice of humility. We've talked about using that wisdom and humility to make Jesus-centered plans. And we've talked about doing our part as God enables us. As I said last time, I, I think it's been, a, it's been a good series. I hope that it has been for you. I hope that it's been a time of reflection for you as, as you consider um, maybe some next steps, uh, maybe some things that might need uh, a little bit more attention in your own faith practices. Um, a couple of things uh, that I'd like to mention specifically, a couple of things that I'd like to um, encourage. Um, time. Time is going to be a really important thing moving forward. Right now, we're kind of entering into um, the beginning of a year, the beginning of, uh, at least in, in many people's minds, after that kind of summer break, uh, when we move into kind of a new season, school is starting, or, you know, we're, uh, we're starting the new football season, you know, any number of things that for some reason, because uh, maybe of the way of our school calendar, um, the fall kind of seems like the beginning of something. So if that's where you are, if that's going to help you, I want to encourage you and ask you where you're spending your time. Um, are you spending time alone daily with God? Uh, are you spending um, time in prayer, time in the Word, time learning? Um, where's the place? Where's that place in your life that you go? I mean, I think that... Uh, um, my experience has been there are certain physical places where I just go and you feel uh, the presence, uh, the, the, that you feel the Spirit's presence. Um, so that time alone daily. Time in worship weekly. Hopefully that's not a complicated one. We meet here at 10 a.m. every Sunday. Um, and then time in a house church, as Jason pointed out, I'd say regularly. I know not every house church meets um, weekly, so I'll just say time in a house church regularly. A time where you're going to get together with other folks that are wrestling with these things, wrestling with uh, the, the Word and with Scripture, and wrestling with um, uh, the, the, our lives, each other's lives. Kind of like where we're going to get into each other's business, you know? You know, you may be sitting there like, well, there's these things that are in my life that I don't know if I need to let other people in. And at New Hope, we're about the business of getting into each other's business. And we think that an appropriate place to do that is the house church. So if you're not in a house church, please, please 
It's a new hope expectation. Um, in all of those places, learning and growing is going to be the key. But this morning, and <clears throat> um, perhaps this is a fitting end to the series, I want to talk a little bit about prayer. Um, I want us to consider how important prayer is to the process of everything that we just talked about, everything that I talked about and how we wrestle with our time um, and where we go uh, to meet God, um, but also uh, all the topics that we've talked about over the past 10 weeks and the, and the things, the, the challenging texts that we read. And as we wrestle with God, as we wrestle with Scripture, the importance of prayer in that journey. The title of our series has been What You Just Did. And I talked about at the beginning of the series about how that was a a reference to to something that my son James had uh, said when he didn't understand um, something that was going on. He said, what you just did? But there was subtext to it. It was a subtext of the series. I said, uh, the subtext was called Summertime in James for Thought, Word, and Deed. And that comes from the prayer that we read um, almost every week here. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we've done and by what we've left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. I love the form of that prayer. I love the honesty of it. And the idea that um, we're going to talk a little bit in a moment about some words that Jesus had for you know vain repetitions. But... I think that if I can attack that sentence and I can say that sentence with honesty, we have not loved you. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I haven't done it. And I have not loved my neighbor as I love myself. And I know that's something you specifically commanded me to do. I know that the world will be a better place if I do it. I'm truly sorry and I humbly repent. Our text for this morning is the last portion of a, of a challenging letter. Surely the practice of prayer has been with us the whole time, and when we consider the fact that none of these proper responses to God's grace are possible without God's grace, then it is to our knees that we must go when wrestling with the practices of thought, word, and deed in the Christian life. Without he who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, without him, without that power, we're done. We have no hope. That may seem like preaching to the choir, but but it can't be when I myself not only forget, but purposefully reject the idea that God is really God. I do it all the time. I do it every day. I'm quite good at it. If I didn't know better, I could easily assume that my true identity is rooted in my ability to royally screw up. See, I think Christianity 
is about knowing better. It's about knowing that it is in Christ that I find my true identity, and that he who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion. This means relationship. This means fellowship. This means prayer. So, James chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 13 through 18, because that last little bit I kind of borrowed two weeks ago in the sermon. So, anyway, three weeks ago in the sermon. Is there anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil, a sign of healing, in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it didn't rain on the land for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Prayer is a mystery. And, and James is calling us to confess our sins to one another, and I will confess to you honestly, prayer is not something that I feel is a strong practice in my life. It's not something, I know that there are friends, dear friends that I have, people in this room, that prayer is just the cornerstone of their faith. They love to live in the prayer, and it is honestly something that I have struggled with deeply. It's not something that's come easily to me. Um, a, few years, a few months ago, actually, I, I, I took a spiritual gifts inventory, um, and say what you will about, about those things, but um, it was funny that, that, that some of the things that I came up, you know, I wasn't expecting to come up uh, high on, on certain areas. But then at the bottom, um, the, the very bottom was craftsmanship. Okay, I'm, I'm not beating myself up over the fact that I'm, you know, not a craftsman for God. But, like, the next one was intercession, was prayer. And uh, so that, I knew this sermon was coming up. Um, so I have spent some time in prayer about it, and I have done some growing in it, and I continue to grow in it. But I think it about what it means to have a communication with God. It's an important thing to wrestle with. There are times, though, times for me and times for you, I'm sure, that, like I said, those important places in our lives where we can kind of communicate with God. Um, for me, nature plays a huge role in that. Um, i can honestly say I don't think I ever feel more connected with God than when I'm driving on a country road. I don't know what it is about, especially in the morning, um, but if I'm, you know, got an early job or something like that, and I'm driving on a road and there's not a lot of traffic, and you get to just drive, and you get to see the early morning, you might see the sunset, you might see the dew shining off of creation, the time when I kind of feel God saying, yeah, I, I, I know you're not that good at prayer. I know that we don't always connect the way we should, but I, I want you to know that, that I'm here. I want you to know that I'm here. I also find that um, churches are another important place for us. 
some people, well, throughout the, the Christian church, there's lots of different kinds of churches. Some people meet in warehouses, some people meet in storefronts, some people meet in grand cathedrals. Um, but there's something about the church. There's something about a building that is designated for God's worship that I think is important. And it can be a danger. There can be a conversation about the you know, bad things that can come from that. But I definitely love this building. And I feel God's presence here. So I had some early experiences with prayer. Um, I'm going to throw that slide up. Okay. So... When I was a kid, um, I have no recollection, I don't remember, somewhere in the mid-80s, I suppose. No, it's not me. <laughs> but it could have been, that's the point. Um, <laughs> the, the idea, I, I, I really wanted this thing. It's a G.I. Joe shuttle complex. It says, my G.I. Joe shuttle complex is the greatest. And because it converts to a crawler, a space, space station, and a shuttle, it's like having three playsets in one. I saw this, and I just went ballistic. You know, I don't know whether it was in a magazine or on a commercial or something like this. It's like, there is something about this that I, I've got to have it. You know, wouldn't this just make, a, a, you know, a six-year-old boy's life complete? What else could he possibly ever imagine ever, to need if he has this in his room? But it was late in the Christmas season when I realized I wanted it. And I said, mm, I am not going to be able to write to Santa Claus in time. What can I do? I had an idea. God must know Santa. I figure, you know, they got to be, I don't know. But you, I'm not sure how it works, but there, there's got to be something up there. Or, you know, he's got to communicate. I mean, you know, Santa can't do all this stuff on his own, and I know there's a God, so why don't I just pray? If God would, would just let Santa know that I need the G.I. Joe shuttle complex, that would work. It did not work. I didn't tell anybody else. So, anyway, we can get rid of that. But speaking of uh, G.I. Joe... There was another time in my life that, uh, that prayer um, was extremely uh, impactful experience in my life. I really honestly don't remember a whole lot about my childhood, and there's always like these little pictures. Uh, some people remember a whole lot. I really just don't remember a lot of my childhood. But I do remember that um, in 1990, I was a, a big video game nut, and I do have a vivid memory of sitting in our front room, um, playing uh, the game. I even remember playing what, remember what game I was playing. It was Castlevania II, Simon's Quest. And my mother yelling at me to come into the living room. Why, Mom? I'm in the middle of a game. Don't, don't bother me, Mom, please. I'm just, what's important? Because she never called me into the living room. And then she said it again, please, I, I need you to come into the living room. Because we need to pray. Now, this was not something that we did in my family up to this point. We did not spend a lot of time, maybe, I guess maybe we prayed for Thanksgiving. I don't know, maybe Christmas occasionally if, you know, the family wasn't 
in such a bad mood or something like that, yeah, I guess, I, know, I, I know other people do it. But we don't really pray. So why, what is, what is so important that you need to call me away from what I'm doing because we need to pray? And we sat down in the living room and the television was on. And my mom was watching the news, which was another thing that she never did. And she took my brother and I hand, and she said, we need to pray because our country is about to go to war. And the thing I think I remember the most about that was how uncomfortable I was. But I also remember the vivid feeling that this was vital. I'm not really sure what was going on, but whatever was going on, this practice that other people don't do, but for some reason we're doing right now, because this situation is so important. That was vital. You know, as we've seen through countless examples in Scripture, prayer, it has the ability to make this lasting impression. And it's not the words that are actually said. Isn't that interesting? I think that if I think about some of the most powerful prayer experiences of my entire life, it's not the words that were actually used. It's the moment when a human being looks at you or you look at another human being and you say, we have nothing else to do but pray right now. Even if we don't remember those words that were said, something about the attempt to connect with a power greater than ourselves can leave this incredible mark on our souls. You know, I think for me, prayer is held in a tension between what seems to be, on one hand, this like incomprehensible activity, talking with God, and then on the other hand, it's something that so many people do without hesitation. It's asking the impossible, or at least what seems to be the impossible at the moment. But at that same moment, it's the only thing we can think to do or to ask others to do. Children do it. Yes, yet it is also vital to the, even the most mature Christians, and indeed Christ himself. It's fascinating to see how the world reacts to this phenomenon. Prayer is a unique exercise because it seems to be something that even those who act like they have no interest whatsoever in following Jesus want to do. Whether it's sparked by the death of a family member or someone taking ill, suddenly prayer becomes a normal activity, or at least other folks want the their Christian friends to pray. Like, when all else fails, I guess we should try prayer. Of course, rarely do they want to do it with you. They'd rather you do it for them. Too often, prayer is the last-ditch resort of a person who is at the end of their rope. And this is a good sign in a way. Hey, man, um, <clears throat> you've heard it before. Hey, man, would you, would you mind shooting a prayer up to me, uh, for me for the, to the big one? Shoot a prayer up uh, to the big man for me, if you would. I'm not really into that religion stuff, but uh, I know you are, so I could really use some prayer. Oftentimes, even in non-Christian homes, prayer is used before bed and at the dinner table. 
regardless of how it's expressed, I think God often whispers in the ears of his creation. And those same people often look to Christians, or at least those that uh, are the faith expressors, as ones who have the market cornered on God. They haven't got it all figured out, but they know they need a connection, and they think that you might be the one to bring it to Jesus. Again, that, that may not be always a bad thing. And it may be a good opportunity to open up a dialogue about God with that person, but it doesn't stop the fact that there does seem to be that mysterious tension there. For me, I really think that prayer, especially the prayers that we find in Scripture, help us enormously with perspective. I mean, you think about what we just did, the, the prayers that Rick just led us through. You think of that there is a theological um, note to all of that. There's talk about the character and nature of God. These are forms that are very useful to us. Um, And as wonderful and as incredible as just asking, you know, who's got a prayer request? How can we be praying for you? And asking people to kind of freestyle through prayer. As powerful as that can be, and that certainly is powerful, when we walk through a prayer that has been crafted, you know, from the Book of Common Prayer or from someone else, um, I think it can help us enormously with that perspective. And, of course, I think there's no better example than this than the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For the kingdom, the power, the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. The Lord's Prayer, with its various translations, it helps us because it kind of lays it all out, doesn't it? It gives us perspective. First of all, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, establishes who God is in this situation. Who's in control here? Who's wearing the God name tag and who's not? Then, apparently, this God in heaven, who is our Father, wants his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven by the coming of his kingdom. It's right for us to ask for the things that give us life, our our daily bread, those things that will sustain us. And then, not only are we asked to forgive, we're taught to ask the forgiveness for our own sins, we're also asked to forgive those that have sinned against us. Forgiveness. It's right there in the Lord's Prayer. We're taught to pray this by Jesus himself. Millions of Christians say this prayer every day. Apparently, forgiveness is at the heart of what following Jesus is all about. We could talk about a lot of things that God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven means, but one of the first things that Jesus says, one of the first things that Jesus talks about is the importance of asking forgiveness of those whom you have sinned or trespassed against and offering forgiveness to those who have hurt you, trespassed against you, sinned against you, maybe. When those listening to to Jesus heard this for the first time, they thought, well, all right. He's going to restore Israel. The Romans are going to pay. God's kingdom is on his way because we've lived in chains for far too long. 
<laughs> Jesus says, oh, you want to talk about chains, do you? How about the chains that keep you from God's presence? How about the chains that keep you from God's kingdom? The chains of your own sin. How about the chains that hold you in bondage because you refuse to offer forgiveness to other people? Because you refuse to offer forgiveness to your neighbor, to your friend, to your parents, to your spouse, to your brother, your sister, your boss, to your pastor. You want to talk about the coming of the kingdom? You want to talk about my power and glory now and forever? We need to start with confession. We need to talk about humility. We need to make forgiveness a non-negotiable, essential part of what following me is all about. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Prayer. It gives us perspective. This is why liturgical prayer can be so helpful. It can be so holy. Not because God desires those vain repetitions. Jesus specifically teaches against that. But because we acknowledge in humility that we need others on this journey. Others have wrestled with finding perspective before us and created useful forms of words to remind each other that God is there and he is not silent. One thing that um, N.T. Wright talks about is that there may actually be something wrong with not using prayer words composed by somebody else. Because if our prayers have come completely out of our own internal resources, then perhaps we've fallen into the trap of pride and failed to truly pray in fellowship. It is a service that others who have come before us have provided. God is not going to punish you for failing to properly freestyle your prayers. He desires a true connection with you. And if a prayer that was written 300 years ago helps you with that, so be it. Pride has no business in prayer. Now, that being said, the other side of the coin is also present. We use terms like going through the motions to describe faith practices that are dead because you're not actually connecting with God through a prayer. You're just, you're just reading the words that are on the page, reading the words that are on the screen, or singing the words that are on the screen. Um, this is why the unscripted prayers of the desperate can be so powerful. On the cover of your bulletin is a picture of who? George Bailey. Now, for my money, one, uh, this, this movie, It's a Wonderful Life, is up there for me, in, definitely in the running for greatest movie of all time. Um, Jimmy Stewart plays George Bailey, this man who has spent his entire life in the service of others, to his friends and to his family and to his small town of Bedford Falls. You know, getting out of the way so that they could experience fame and fortune and success, and, and one day this terrible accident happens. It's out of his control, and he takes the blame for it, because that's the kind of guy he is. And suddenly, he's thousands of dollars in the 1940s. He's thousands of dollars in the hole, and the cops are knocking on his door. And he stumbles down to a local bar, 
and he has complete emotional desperate breakdown. And then it's one of the most powerful scenes in the movie. He's like shaking. Jimmy Stewart does a fantastic job in this. He shakes and he's putting his hand up to his mouth. And he prays, God, oh God, dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there, if you can hear me, show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. Show me the way, God. And then this really crazy thing happens where an angel comes and he's showing him like, you know, what life would have been like if he hadn't been born, and then everybody gets together and helps him. I don't, you know, it's a wonderful movie. But anyway, don't you love like, the desperation in that prayer? That when you're at the end of your rope, and, and you might say, we might have a whole other conversation about how the importance of kind of going to prayer before you get to the end of your rope, but let's pretend we just had that conversation, and then you're at the end of your rope, and you have nowhere else to turn, and the only thing that you can think of, you're sitting in a bar, and you're looking at a drink, and you're saying, God, dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there, if you can hear me, show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope, and God says, I am there. I am there. Petition may be the most often highlighted dimension of prayer throughout Scripture. You know, we, we pray for ourselves, as we see in the Psalms, um, and we pray for others, as Jesus modeled for us in John 17. And, and it's allowed, it, it, apparently, praying with persistence is encouraged. Um, think, look at um, uh, Luke 11. Here's what I'm saying. Ask and you'll get. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This is not a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. This is the message translation, by the way. If your little boy asks for a serving of fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? <laughs> Maybe. But <laughs> if your little girl asks for an egg, do you trick her with a spider? No. Well, as bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children, aren't you? Don't you think the Father who conceived you in love will give you, not what you asked for, not just what you asked for, will give you the Holy Spirit when you ask him? It's okay to ask God for things. But the other, the other side of the coin is that we also must surrender our preferences to the Father's wisdom. We must first express faith and dependence on God's holiness. And that means entering into his holy story with Jesus as our mediator. Um, I spent a lot of time this past couple weeks, uh, or actually a lot of time yesterday, in uh, N.T. Wright's book, uh, Simply Christian. He has a, a chapter on prayer, and in regards to what I said before about uh, thinking about the next steps, if that's a book you've never read, by the way, if, that's, uh, if you're kind of thinking about how to get started in the faith and what kind of faith practices to go after, I cannot highly recommend that book enough. In it, he says, In Jesus, prayer has come of age. Heaven and earth have overlapped permanently where he stands, where he hung, where he rises, Wherever the fresh wing of his spirit now blows, 
living as a Christian means living in the world as it's been reshaped by and around Jesus and his spirit. When we look at prayer, there is public prayer and there is private prayer. And let me read what Jesus had to say in regards to that private prayer. Before he, uh, in Matthew, uh, records that version of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray. To your father who is in the secret place, <laughs> like the place idea again, go into your room, shut your door. When you go into that kind of silent, um, secluded place, when you're all alone, God's there, you know? <laughs> anyway, um, your father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not like be, uh, be like them, for your Father knows the things you have before you ask them. And then he tells them in this manner, pray, and he tells them the Lord's Prayer. So, so private prayer is absolutely essential. Finding that place where you can hide away, have solitude, have privacy, and spend time alone with God is absolutely vital to the Christian uh, walk. But public prayer is also extremely important, um, as we see in Acts, as, we, uh, as James has alluded to in our text for this morning. And it's been a very vital part um, to the New Hope story. Um, and it's something that I, I, I look forward to continuing in. You know, for me, I just got to ask what am I really saying in prayer? I'm saying that Jesus is my boss, that Jesus is my king, because when I say that I'm following Jesus, and when I'm considering about um, the things that we do in response to God's grace, and then we pray something like the Lord's Prayer, we're realizing that Jesus didn't just give us the model. Jesus is the model. Everything that's, that's laid out in that Lord's Prayer, he did. It's by his power and glory. And prayer is also a fitting end to our series because um, it's going to, I think, help walk us into uh, where we'll go next, which uh, the sermon series is called A Brief Reminder of who we are and kind of talk a little bit about the steps um, of the evangelical faith. And prayer is going to be an absolutely essential part of that. So look forward to continue that. And uh, thanks very much for um, walking with uh, James with us. Let me pray to close us. Your Father. Your Father in heaven, I am not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. I may be at the end of my rope sometimes. Other times I may have it a little bit more together, and I pray to you before I'm at the end of my rope. Show us the way, dear Father. Help us 
to build for your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to do the business of confession. Help us to connect with you in the ways that you would have us connect with you. Lighten our darkness, we beseech thee, O Lord. And by thy great mercy defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of thy only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.